to Australian If you are new to church this week, um, my name is Paul, I am a minister here. We're looking at a short series on marriage, singleness and sexuality. And tonight the topic is singleness. Please keep your Bibles open first um, on the 1 Corinthians 7 passage. I want to just start off again by acknowledging that all these topics are, are painful for all of us, whether we're married or single, because we live in a very fallen, sinful world with broken relationships. And I want to acknowledge that up front. And I want to say that I want to... Uh, look at the Bible, see what it says about these topics, and I'm really happy to chat to people individually, answer any questions you want on these issues. Why don't I pray and ask for God's help? Father, your word is um, true. The scriptures are God breathed, and we pray you give us your spirit tonight a spirit that is accepting, a spirit that listens, a spirit that uh, allows our minds and our wills to be changed. Please encourage and uh, comfort those of us who struggle. And please would you help us, whether we're married or single here tonight, to uh, discern what the Bible teaches and to think clearly about how to apply it to our lives. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Do you know that um, over the last 30 years, the number of people living alone has more than doubled? from less than 17% in 1971 to about 35% in 2001. And in the 25 to 34 year old age bracket, the number of people living alone has increased by 350% in the last 15 years. See, marriage is still the norm, but singleness is playing a quick catch-up game, isn't it? And Most people will get married, that's the reality, but an ever-increasing number of people will never get married. Let's start off by asking the question, why are so many people single today? Many reasons, aren't there? One reason is that people are marrying later in life. So the average age of marriage is now 32 for men and about 30 for women here in Australia. People are living longer, so people now spend decades rather than years as widows or widowers. There's divorce. So with the divorce rate hitting one in two, many, many people are living alone or single life again after marriage. Or for generation Xers like myself, there's that, you know, that, that fear of divorce. You don't want to repeat the same mistakes as your parents, so you, know, you lack trust in any relationship and not willing to commit to them. Or there's just choice, isn't there? We live in a world of choice. So today if you want to send a letter, or if you want to communicate rather, you have so many choices. So 20 years ago, to communicate, you either picked up the phone or you sent a letter. Today, you, you fax or you SMS or you email or you do whatever you want to communicate. And when it comes to, to life issues, you have choices and you choose whether to get married or, or stay single. And people make that choice to stay single based on career or on travel or on whatever. And then they find themselves single and they're living with the choices they make. See, singleness, it seems to me anyway, that singleness in the world seems to be okay and almost the norm. And yet when you walk into a church, if you're single, then suddenly you feel strange. So the preacher never applies the Bible to the single person. And the person who is praying prays for marriages to be strengthened, to be a godly husband or a godly wife. 
and you're sitting there as a single person thinking, well, that's great, but what about me? And as you talk to people, the basic assumption is that one day you will get married. Of course you'll get married. It's the norm. Now, what is the issue when it comes to saying that's not, it's not a loaded word? What is the issue? I think there's a few issues going on. One is self-expectation. Let me say, if you don't know me, I am single. Um, it's self-expectation. You, you reach a certain age where you think, I should be married. Or you live life thinking, oh, I will be married by the time I'm 30. And 30 arrives and you're not married. There's that self-expectation that, you know, that one Christmas you will spend Christmas with a husband or a wife and not have to spend the week before thinking, who do I spend Christmas with? Or holidays, who are they on holiday with? That self-expectation, just expect to get married. Or there's a family pressure. I remember, it's great living overseas actually, but I remember <laughs> sitting down at a family Christmas about five years ago and someone said to me, oh, are you still single? And they proceeded to roll up a whole list of people who they thought might be compatible partners for me. You know, that sort of pressure, the, the expectation, of course you're going to get married. And someone else said to me, oh, you'd make a wonderful husband. What, what a loss, what a shame. As though, as though marriage was the be-all and end-all of life. That family pressure, or the social pressure. I was at a conference two weeks ago. Uh, guys I was at college with. Uh, there were 26 married couples there and me as a single person. First four people I spoke to, the first question they asked me, the very first question they asked me, I hadn't seen them for the whole year, are you still single? Are you still single? When the fourth person said, are you still single, I turned around and said, I am, and are you still married? <laughs> but you know, that social pressure that, that is the, the aim of life, is to get married. Or you're made to feel incomplete without a spags. You know, you're invited out for dinner and suddenly you're a fourth person there because the number three doesn't really fit at dinner party, does it? Or the single person feels cheated or feels a failure. Even amongst your closest friends, singleness is seen as, as, as a, a problem, a problem to cope with. And what about here in church? Even here in church, there's an underlying and unspoken expectation that, that the normal thing to do, that normal people get married. And if you're not married, then... Once you reach a certain age anyway, people start to ask questions. They say, well, why aren't you married? And they say, well, maybe it's your, your physical appearance, or maybe you're socially inept, or maybe you're just too, too picky, or the unspoken thing, well, maybe you're gay. It happens. That's what people think. And as a single person in church leadership, let me say that I'm treated with suspicion. And people think, you know, He's not able to do a lot of things that married men can do in church. There's two single rectors in the whole of Sydney. See, although many, many people are single, the message that is communicated by the world and by the church and by ourselves is it's almost unnatural and undesirable to be single. And time and time and time again, the only solution, the only solution to this so-called problem called singleness is this so-called solution called get married. And I want to suggest tonight that the solution is to understand marriage and understand singleness. And to rejoice in marriage and to rejoice in singleness. Four points on your sheet. First point is this. Find your identity in Christ. Find your identity in Christ. The Bible is very clear that marriage is a good thing. Marriage was created by God for good things. 
Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man will leave his father his mother and be united to his wife, they become one flesh. There's that closeness, there's that, that splendor, there's that intimacy of marriage. It's a beautiful thing in marriage. It's God's gift, if you want, for intimacy, for express your sexuality. Marriage is God's gift for, to, to show your oneness with another person of the, of the opposite sex. But listen carefully. Marriage doesn't save you. Marriage does not save you. Salvation, your salvation is not found in marriage. Your salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The big mistake is to, is to, to, to think that you'll find happiness when you find your marriage partner. The big mistake is to put your allegiance to marriage above your allegiance to, to Christ. Look what uh, Jesus said in Luke 14. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. By hate, Jesus means love less. What he's saying there is, look, as a disciple of me, I'm your number one. Love me above everybody else, even your wife, even your husband, even your father, even your mother. He doesn't say leave your marriage. He doesn't say walk away from responsibility. He's saying put me number one. Because whether we're married or whether we're single, if we're followers of Christ, he is our priority. Because he is the one who saved us. He is the one who's loved us. He is the one who will keep us for eternity. That's where your identity is. Not in marriage, not in singleness, but in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I don't care whether I have kids to carry my family name or not. I don't care if I have grandkids to carry on the name Dale. The point is my name is written in the book of life. And that's much more important to me. Identity in Christ. Secondly, the gift of singleness. Okay, have a guess. How often am I asked, Paul, do you have the gift of singleness? I planned to preach this about six months ago. I've kept a tally of the last six months. How often? Every four days. Someone says to me, do you have the gift of singleness? You see, we spend years thinking about whether we have this so-called gift of singleness. And let's face it, we spend years praying and hoping that we don't have this gift of singleness. What does the Bible say about this so-called gift of singleness? See, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, it was assumed that it was the, the norm to get married. You know, girls got married at 12, 13, guys got married at 15, 16. In the Old Testament, if you were single, it was a, a disgrace. If you were single, it was some sort of judgment on God, by God. And that's why when Jesus comes, and his teaching is so revolutionary, and the Apostle Paul is like a bombshell. Let me show two things, two things in the Bible on singleness. Firstly, singleness is given by God. Look at Matthew chapter 19 with me. Matthew 19. I'm looking at verses 10, and 10 11, 12. So on page 6. 9.6. Matthew 19. The Pharisees are asking questions about divorce. Jesus' teaching is very strong. He says marriage is that permanent, lifelong union. The one possibility for divorce is marital unfaithfulness. And so the disciples said in verse 10, this is tough, Jesus. If this is a situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And we expect Jesus to say, no, 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 come on, get married, that's the right thing. He doesn't say that. Verse 11, Jesus said, not everyone can accept this, but only those to whom it has been given given a gift. Verse 12, 
For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of God. Three different groups. Some who were born eunuchs, those are people who, uh, because of uh, congenital defects, it means that they can never marry. Or perhaps, and I'll put this out there, and we'll talk about it in two weeks' time, perhaps it's those people who, are, who have a homosexual orientation, who the possibility of having heterosexual relationships is just out of the question. They're born that way. Orientation-wise, I say. We'll look at that in two weeks' time. Secondly, are people who are made eunuchs, verse 12. Others were made that way by men, you know. They're victims of, of castration, or in the Bible times, you went into prison, often your penis was removed. The impossible of having, a, of having a marriage. Or maybe it's those who, you know, because they're made that way by men, they've got elderly parents to look after. It's just the way they've been made that way. The third group, in verse 12, they've renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. They've chosen not to marry. Whether they be you know, monks or nuns or the single missionary or just the normal Christian who's chosen to get ma- not to get married. The point is that in each case, this is given by God, verse 12. It's been given. For some have been born that way, others made that way, others have renounced that way. And what Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, look, if you're born with a physical defect and you cannot get married, then don't rail against God. Enjoy your relationship with God and say, I don't understand why you've made me this way, but this is the way you've made me. Or if you're made that way by man, it's not a victim of circumstance. God in his sovereignty has allowed that to happen. That's why he says in verse 12, the one who can accept this should accept it. Let our hearts, our minds get round the idea. If this is what God has given me at this time in my life, I can accept that. If this is what God has given me in this time in my life, I can accept that. If you're married here, let me urge you, please don't pity us who are single. And please stop talking about when you get married. Please talk about if you get married. Because it may be that some of us have been made this way, or by God, or by men. Singleness is, is, is given by God, and secondly, singleness is a gift, is a gift from God. Click over to 1 Corinthians 7, that classic passage on singleness. It's written by Paul. Paul's a single man. We don't know whether he was a widower or divorced or never married. It's all speculation. We do know he is single. And the basic advice of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, it's on page 810. The basic advice of this chapter is this. Listen carefully. He's saying, stay as you are. Stay as you are. He's saying, if you're married, don't seek a divorce. If you're single, don't seek a wife or husband. So look with me. If you're married, click back to verse 2. Since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, likewise the wife to her husband. He's saying if you're married, enjoy sex, you promise your bodies to each other, the only reason to abstain is to pray. If you're married, stay as you are. Don't look for a way out of marriage. If you're not married, look at verse 8. If you're not married, the unmarried and widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I am. Again, Paul is not against marriage. Marriage is a great thing, but he's saying singleness is good as well. It's good to remain single. Paul is saying if you're unmarried, you've got no inner compulsion to get married, it's an okay thing, a good thing to stay single. So why should we get married? What are the reasons to get married? It's not loneliness. It's not love. What are the reasons to get married? Verse 9. If they cannot control themselves, they should marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. He's saying here, if you can't control yourself sexually, if, if you're so in love with someone, if you meet that person, 
the person who you love deeply and you want to spend the rest of your life with and you can't control yourself sexually, then it's good and it's right to get married. But if that temptation is not there, then it's okay to stay single. Look down at verse 25 with me. To the virgins, to the, the parthenos, the people not engaged in sex, those who are not married, who have never married. This is Paul's judgment, he says. It's not a command from Jesus, it's not a binding command. It's Paul's apostolic opinion. What does he say? Verse 26. I think it is good for you to remain as you are, unmarried. Or verse 27. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But then he says in verse 27, Are you married? Don't seek a divorce. Verse 28. If you do marry, you've not sinned. And what he's saying here is that if you're single and you choose to get married, that's okay. If you're married, then don't seek a divorce. Whatever situation you're in, say that's a good situation. Or to the engaged people, verse 36. If anything, anyone thinks he's acting improperly towards the virgin, he's engaged to. If he's getting along in years, I don't know what that means. Uh, if he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does right. See, what he's saying here, listen carefully, he's saying that, that marriage is a good thing and singleness is a good thing. Marriage is a gift from God and singleness is a gift from God. Look at our key verse. Our key verse is verse 7. It's on the screen. It says this, verse 7. Each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. He's saying there are two gifts. One's called marriage, one's called singleness. It's not like a normal state with no calling called marriage or a special state with a special calling called singleness. He's saying marriage is a gift, singleness is a gift. Neither is superior, neither is inferior. And listen carefully, what God chooses to give to you at this particular time, at this particular time, consider a gift from God. If you're single, you have the gift of singleness right now. If you're married, you don't have the gift of singleness. You have the gift of marriage. And if you marry, you exchange the gift of singleness for the gift of marriage. But both are good. Singleness is good, marriage is good. And you may shift from one to another, but both are good. Top tip from me to you, don't buy me clothes. I'm quite particular about what I wear. My mother bought me a Christmas jumper five years ago. Same, same Christmas I had that, that conversation actually. This jumper was, was bright red, it had a ribbed sort of pattern, and it wasn't quite a v-neck, it's those kind of sort of turtle neck sort of thing. <laughs> and I looked at my mum and I thought, what do I say here? And I said, thank you for buying me this gift, but it, it's really not me. <laughs> I had a choice, I could say, oh, I don't want that gift. But I chose to say, thank you for buying me this gift, but I'm going to choose to exchange this gift for something else. And so I took the jumper back to the shop, I had the receipt, went into the shop, changed the jumper for something else. Now as I walked into the shop I thought, actually that's a really nice suit. But I couldn't exchange my jumper for the suit because the suit was about five times the cost of the jumper. But I had a certain amount of money to spend to exchange for an equal value gift. And that's the picture here with marriage and singleness. You can go from singleness to marriage, you can go from marriage back to singleness again. 
you're not becoming superior or inferior there's no moving up the ladder if you want they're both equal value singleness and marriage because they're both a gift from God and neither gift is necessarily permanent see everyone starts out single some become married over over half rather end up single again you shift from one gift to the other see this radically changes our our way our attitude towards this gift see singleness is not some super spiritual calling singleness is not this idea that you know I don't really have this gift we can't say I don't have this gift of singleness see it's like saying to the married person look if if marriage is really hard and if you're finding it tough then you probably haven't got the gift of marriage so get out of it you don't say that do you? you say work hard at your marriage you know learn how to communicate better learn how to grow and, 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 and cope and, and enjoy the marriage as best you can and so equally people who are single you want to say look you may struggle it may be pain, painful I know it's painful I know it's a struggle I do know that I do know that but you know work hard at enjoying this gift that you've got at this particular time and please don't please don't live in what I call transit mode <laughs> you know putting your life on hold until you get married you know, I'm not going to buy that house until I get married. I'm not going to lead a Bible study until I get married. I'm not going to go overseas until I get married. As though suddenly when marriage comes, all the, the pieces will fall into place. If you're married, it's a great gift from God. If you're single at this time, it's a great gift from God. Point number three. Three good reasons to stay single. Three good reasons to stay single. Firstly, marriage belongs to a passing age. Did you see that in that in verse... 31. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 verse 31. He says this. For this world in its present form is passing away. What he's saying here is that marriage is not part of the new creation. We saw that last week, didn't we? That at the resurrection, there is no marriage. Yes, there'll be a joyful reunion, but not in that same exclusive relationship kind of way. So, a good reason to say single is because there's not been no marriage in heaven. This world is on its way out if you want. Time is short, he says in verse, verse 29. Brother, it's the time is short. He's saying Jesus could come back at any day now. And when he does come back, end of marriage. For those of you who are planning weddings out there, do you think about that? You know, you can plan this fantastic wedding day. And Jesus could come back the day before. You know, your wedding day is not the most important thing. You know, knowing Christ and serving him is the most important thing. And let me say as well, if you cannot imagine happiness without marriage, you, you haven't grasped the supreme happiness of knowing Christ now and for eternity. If you're married and you're idolizing marriage, then actually when you get to heaven, there's going to be no marriage. Love your wife, love your husband, grow that marriage, but please don't idolize it. And if you're single, don't treat marriage as the, the one thing that's going to make you happy, because it won't. It's knowing Christ for eternity. Second reason to stay single, marriage brings additional and conflicting concerns. Look with me down at verse 28. It says here, If you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want you to spare you this. What he's saying here is that life is full of heartaches, life is full of troubles. We all have troubles. 
And we think, you know, find the marriage partner and all our troubles will stop. And in a way, that marriage partner will provide, you know, great comfort in our troubles. Someone to share the troubles with. That's right and that's true. You know, the, the, the beauty of a, of a husband or wife to support you in times of trouble is a great gift from God. But please don't be naive enough to think that, that when you get mad all your troubles will stop because actually what you do is you take on another person's troubles as well. You know, the pain that you feel when you watch your wife struggling or dying with cancer and the pain that you feel when your only child walks away from Christ or something like that. I was chatting to a guy this week who's been married for 55 years and his wife has been given three weeks to live and the pain that he's going through I can't imagine that because I've never been married, I've never been in that close relationship. But there are troubles in life that come with marriage. And he's saying that, that some singles, you know, to remain single, actually you avoid those troubles. That's a good reason to stay single. Sometimes I think we're like, we're like flies, you know. Flies on a window. If you see those flies, they're stupid, aren't they, flies? You know, they, they come onto the outside of the window and they're sort of buzzing around wanting to get in and then they... They're inside the room and they're buzzing to try and get out. And it's like you're single and you're looking into marriage thinking it's all wonderful. And then you're married looking into single and thinking, I wish I was single again. And, you know, he's saying here that, that marriage does bring troubles. And our job as singles is to encourage those marriages to, to be faithful in their marriages and to work through those troubles. Flips are the coin, singleness allows undivided loyalty to God. So look at me at verses 32 to 35. He says this I'd like you to be free from the concern from the troubles, from the woe, from the tensions. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undevoted devotion to the Lord. It's just obvious, isn't it, that that a married man cannot have the same devotion to God as a single man. He's got divided loyalties. He wants to love his wife and lead his wife. And the, the married woman, she wants to love her husband and respect her husband. But the single person can have undivided devotion to God. I'm, it's simple as this. So if we are single, whether short-term or long-term single, put it to good use. There are unparalleled opportunities as single people to, to serve God. And I know that it's painful. I know that it's hard to serve as a single person. But we can serve faithfully. Now, I've had the privilege of more time devoted to studying the scriptures and to praying and to serving. I can meet blokes at 6.30 in the morning, five days a week to read the Bible and pray with them. I'm not boasting about it. I'm just saying I can do that because I'm single. If I was married, I couldn't. And if I ever do marry, I will have to stop doing that. And that's a good thing as well. But there's no call on my time, there's no restriction on my movements. I don't have to think about my kids and their schooling and all that sort of stuff. Financially, I can give generously, because I'm a single bloke. What he's saying here is that both married and singles can serve, equally valid ways of serving. Paul was single, probably. Peter was married. They both serve faithfully. But a single person has more time, more money, and more, more energy, and less distractions. John Stott says this, The great joy of being single is being able to devote myself fully with concentration and without distraction to the work of the Lord let me finish with five very quick struggles because I'm going over time five struggles of singleness firstly loneliness loneliness we were made in the image of God that means to know God to know each other 
and the single person you know who spends days without seeing anyone or speaking to them, it's incredibly lonely. Or the single person who lives in fear of dying alone, you know, with, without anyone finding them for days, that's incredibly lonely. Loneliness is that, is that like, emotional state with that discomfort or that discontentment, but loneliness is not the same as being alone, is it? Alone is the, the status you're in, loneliness is an emotion that you feel. The person who said to me, you must be incredibly lonely, I've got this person who you could marry. I was thinking, you know, how, how patronising. Can you imagine someone coming to Jesus and saying, you must be incredibly lonely. I've got a cousin in Bethsaida, let me introduce you to her. I mean, Jesus was not alone, was he? Jesus had 12 disciples, he had friends and Lazarus, and he had Mary and Martha. Paul, was, he may have been lonely, he wasn't alone. He had Barnabas and, and Timothy and Silas and singles who may be alone, maybe lonely, but we're not alone. We should never feel alone. Why should we never feel alone? Well, look around you. Look around you. They're your brothers, they're your sisters in Christ. And I know that sometimes singles walk into church and you see this invisible sign saying, please come back in two years when you're married with two kids. But the sad reality is that, you know, the church is a place where single or married... We should be loving each other and bearing each other's burdens and growing together. And that means we have responsibilities. If we're married here, care for the singles. Don't exclude the singles. Invite them for dinner. Invite them on holiday with you. Involve in your family. There's no such thing as a private family in the church. It's a public family because we all belong to each other. Now, I, have, I have loads of, of uh, adopted nephews and nieces who call me Uncle Paul. I don't have my own kids, but that's okay. And if we're single, please include marriage in your life. The, the blessings of spending time with married couples and seeing the joys of marriage and the struggles of marriage you should never be lonely if you're in the church. Secondly, sexual temptation. The Bible says avoid sex, have nothing to do with sex outside of marriage. And if we're single, that's a struggle, isn't it? It's a real struggle. I'll say one thing here. If you're struggling with Whatever it is, whether it's lust, whether it's pornography, whether it's masturbation, whatever. If you're struggling with any of those things as a single person, please don't think that getting married will solve that problem. You'll just be a married person who struggles with lust and with pornography and with masturbation. The sexual temptations that you struggle with as a single bloke, you'll take into your marriage. That's not the solution. The solution is to deal with the sexual temptation as a single person. You know, read the Bible, pray, be accountable, deal with it now. Thirdly, dating. The whole concept of dating is foreign to the Bible, but how do you get married? You say that church is not a supermarket. Church is not a supermarket. I love shopping. Do you know that? I love shopping. What I love more than anything else is wandering around Chatswood in West, uh, Westwood and Chatswood and, you know, just looking for bargains and comparing prices and thinking what I'm going to buy today and I'm annoying shopper because I go into one shop and then I return three hours later having looked at about 20 other garments and buy the first thing I, th- first thing I saw. But you know, don't treat church like that. Don't sort of come in and look around and, and shop around and say this person is better than that person and do this comparison test. Get the best bargain or they're beyond my reach. They're out of my price range. Church is not a place to shop. What you do in terms of dating is, you know, you, you enjoy your friendships and you get to know each other and you see their walk with the Lord and then a natural friendship develops. Please don't come into church thinking my aim here is to find a partner. Fourthly, a balanced life. Most Christians struggle to have a balanced life, so we're in the office, 
after hours and through our mind goes, well, let's stay an extra hour because hey, I've got no wife and kids to go home to. Or the person sitting next to you who's married with kids says they can do the extra work because they're not married, they don't have the kids. And we as single people need to say, no, no, I don't have a wife, I don't have a husband, I don't have kids. But I need time for me. I'm speaking to me here as well. A balanced life. Lastly, self-centeredness. The biggest danger is self-centeredness. You know, we have so much freedom, life revolves around us, and we just become selfish. And I need to keep asking the question. I need to keep asking the question, what am I doing right now to love my neighbour? What am I doing right now to serve my church family? And what am I doing right now to serve my God? Not about me, but about church and about God and about others. Singleness is tough. Singleness is painful. But please leave here tonight saying, singleness is a gift from God, just like marriage is a gift from God. If you are single, that is where God has placed you at this moment. At this moment. And please enjoy the life he's given you at this moment. Serve him faithfully. If you're married, please don't pity the singles, but love them and include them. I like to see singles a bit like a, a jewel. You know, the jewels, the diamonds, where they're incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And yet at the same time, they've got sort of jagged edges, which are really painful if you, if you rub your skin against. And that's the thing, it's, it's painful, it's hurtful, and yet there's beauty there, because we can serve God faithfully. We're going to uh, sing a song now. Um, we sing songs to give praise to God and to reflect 